Hey, good morning, everybody. So good to see you. I'm glad that you made it to church today, and I bet that you didn't have the same kind of morning I had. Uh, I had, by the way, if you're new here, I'm, I'm John, I'm lead pastor, but I had this thing, I woke up, I just kind of woke up at 3 in the morning, it was actually 2.57, couldn't sleep, couldn't, tried to make myself go back to sleep, and I couldn't go back to sleep, and this thought was the first thing that occurred to me, I don't have any coffee beans. I, I, can some of you feel my pain in that moment? Like, for me, I was just, I mean, I, I was like, oh, this is terrible. I got out of bed. I started pacing around. What do I do? I got my phone out, and I found out all the Starbucks in our whole entire town. And I'm like, which one opens the soonest? And one of them over there opens at 4.15. I drove there. I waited in the parking lot. I was that creepy guy who's like, <laughs> anyway, you know, sometimes when you know that you really want something and it really matters, you'll do whatever it takes, right? And so that has nothing to do with anything. I just had to share. Anyway, uh, today I'm starting a new series called All for the One, and I've been looking forward to sharing this. And, and really, it's, it's, about, it's about the fact that there is an all in this room right now that really is so powerful in Jesus, to accomplish the things of the kingdom of God. And because there's an all here uh, that, that, that is gathered together and saying, we're going we're gonna to create a place where people can come home. Lots of people are coming home and finding this place to be a good home in Jesus. And so I just want to celebrate that. And uh, I, I found a, a couple of people with some testimonies of just, just how that has happened for them. I want to sh share those with you. I'm Cynthia, and this is my story. You know, there's so many times you're sitting in service and you're like, oh my gosh, Pastor John is talking to me, just me. And I walk out of there and I get so much out of, you know, the sermon. But recently, um, Pastor John was talking about strength and it was the first time he wasn't talking to me. He was telling me, telling me what to do, telling me how to react, telling me how to respond to my feelings. And after that is when I realized, honestly, God spoke through him to me, and things changed within minutes, it felt like. So that right there is why I keep on coming back. Hi, I'm Julie, and this is my story. Pastor John had a word of knowledge that somebody was going to be healed of this sinus issue, and my husband raised his hand ever so slightly up and told me a week later that he was completely delivered of this sinus problem that he'd had since he's been a kid. So it was absolutely amazing. I was like, why didn't you tell me this sooner? I was so excited for him. All of my kids have had words of knowledge spoken over them and prophetic words spoken over them. I think those words of knowledge and those prophecies spoken over them have given them a vision that they didn't have for themselves. Hi, I'm Danny and this is my story. My family and I, we, we hopped around the valley trying to find the right fit a home church. What was uh, preventing that was we ran into some, some roadblocks with the kids' programs, and it wasn't until we came to Centerpoint. It was uh, the Easter service this year. We had picked up our youngest, which was the first time she had stayed the entire time, and we loved it because we got the full message. And when we picked up our youngest from CP Kids, my wife and I will never forget this day because the first thing she said to us was that, Mom, Dad, Jesus died for us. And she was, she said it with a smile, not just because she absorbed information and just spit it out. She said it with a smile and she had color pages with her and she just had a, a genuinely great time. And we knew from that moment that it was a game changer, that we were, we were home 
and we were ready. Come on, that's awesome. I love that. I love that. And I love it because you know what that reflects? That reflects that, that you are a, a group of believers in Jesus that keep on just doing what the body of Christ is supposed to be doing, creating a place where those kinds of stories can keep happening one after another, where just lots of us are finding God's goodness and his grace and his power and his love and coming alive. And so church, well done. That's your story. That's your testimony. I know that she said, oh, Pastor John was speaking to me, but you know what? The reality is I wouldn't have the chance to do that if you weren't the kind of body that would say, man, I'm going to show up early. I'm going to do what I can to create this thing. I'm going to lead this small group. I'm going to host a rooted group. I'm going to come and make that coffee. I'm going to come and, and uh, lead these students. I mean, all of that is all of you and I creating something that Jesus can work through powerfully. So thank you. Well done, church. Well done. Hey, so I was, uh, I was just thinking about my, my son just turned 16, and I was remembering being 16, and, and the summer I was 16, I, I wanted to get a summer job. And back where I grew up in, in uh, New Jersey, there were a lot of opportunities for kids like me to get a job as a lifeguard. And that's because, you know, out here, everybody could get a pool in your backyard or you, if you wanted to. Uh, and, and back east, it's just not the case. It's too expensive. They freeze. It's too hard to maintain. So what you end up with is lots of community pools, which everybody kind of joins and, and swims all together. That's the dynamic. And so that meant lots of jobs as lifeguards. So I was trying to get a job as a lifeguard, so I had to get trained. So I signed up for the, uh, the community lifeguard training program, and I did it. It was two weeks all day. And I finished all two weeks of it, and the last day, I got my lifeguard certificate, and I was now a lifeguard. I didn't have a job as one, and I never did get a job as one, but I had the certificate. Anyway, I was standing at the West Windsor Plainsboro High School pool. That was our community pool, and it was one of those crazy days where it was humid and hot, and lots of people are there, chaotic, noisy, and uh, lots of people in the water, lots of people all around. And there was a line of kids lining up for the diving board. And one little kid in particular, probably six or seven years old, it was his turn. He got up on the diving board and ran to the end and, and jumped, jumped twice, and then went in the air and then came back down in such a way that his head and neck smacked on the back of the diving board. And then he fell into the water and wasn't coming up. And I'm standing there on the sides just kind of watching this, and these things happen so quickly, right? And I quickly look up and I see Megan... Mm, Megan, who was on the lifeguard stand, but she was not looking this way. She was talking to her boyfriend over here. She had no clue what would just happen. I looked over the other way, and this other lifeguard was just kind of hanging out with his friends, his buddies. He had no clue what was just happening. And I looked back down, and this child, this kid is going deeper. He's not coming up. And without even a, a second to process it, I just dove into the water swam down to where he was near the bottom, put my arm around him, did this cross chest thing I had just learned, and brought him back up to the surface, cross chest carried him over to the edge of the pool, did everything that I had learned in that lifeguard training, pulled him out of the water, and began to do the compressions until the water came out, and he began to breathe again. That was a crazy moment, crazy moment. Hey, 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 hold on, hold on. I mean, you're clapping, but listen, those of you who are firemen and uh, emergency room doctors and nurses and EMT people and police officers, you know that you deal with that stuff every single day, and I do not deserve the applause you just heard. You do, you do. <laughs> but let me just say that, right? Set the record straight. But it was an intense moment. And, wh and why? Why would I do that? Why would I jump in and, and swim down there and do that? Why? Because I could. Because I was an able-bodied young guy who had just been 
uh, trained and, and shown, you know, what to do to help somebody out who's drowning and, and, to, and to do something to rescue them. I, I, I knew what to do. I was able to do it. And in a sense, what I want to talk to you about in this message is the reality that you and I are all that guy. We're that one who, who's been shown like the love and mercy and goodness of God. And we've been, in a sense, trained in, in how to experience his love and mercy and extend it to others. And if we're followers of Jesus, he's shown us. He's shown us that he wants to see ones rescued. And we're the ones who got the lifeguard certificate. The minute that he put his seal of love on our lives with the gift of salvation, he said, Tag, you're it. Let's see some people rescued, right? And we thought we were just going to be coming to church and be churchgoers. But Jesus said, no, you're rescuers. Would you join me in it? So listen, I want you to turn today to Luke chapter 15. And uh, Luke chapter 15, you turn there. And as you're turning there, I just hope that today we would recognize that we're part of an all that's been intended by Jesus to be really specifically about some things. And that it has to do with, with, with the one who right now, figuratively speaking, may kind of feel like they're drowning. So I want you to turn to Luke chapter 15 and hear uh, God's word. Jump into this moment with me. It says, Luke 15, verse 1, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain. He was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he'll call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. Now, hold on. But just so that we would make no mistake that this is not about animals, <laughs> Jesus clarifies in verse 7 in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. You know, I, I love this passage of scripture. I love it. I love it. You know, we, we, we love it, I think. We love the idea of that, that, that shepherd that would leave the 99, go after the one. We even sing about it. Leave the 99. I couldn't earn it. Come on. Come on. Am I the only one? Like, we love it. We love it. Love it. And it's a, it's a beautiful picture. But you got to remember what's really going on in this moment. Jesus is confronting mindsets. And he's confronting the mindsets of, of religious people who are coming to this conclusion that, hey, pretty much the only thing that matters is us. What we're doing together inside of here with you and me, us, that's the only thing that matters. Those other people out there, they can figure it out on their own. I mean, I don't know if they talk with that kind of an accent, but in my mind they do. And Jesus is confronting that mindset in a sense to say, can I, can I recalibrate your thinking for a little bit? That the, the ones who, who are safe... I, they're good, but the one who's lost, that's the one that needs the rescue. And in a sense, Jesus is saying, this is my priority. And if you're my follower, I needed you to join me in my priority. 
And to determine now that going after the one that is lost is going to be a part of what you're going to give your life to. I mean, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus wants to see those who need rescue, those ones rescued and brought in. Uh, th this is a lot of different kinds of people who are that one. You know, that one is the person who lives up the street from you and you kind of just, you know, drive past their house and the garage door closes and if you ever see them driving their car, you might give them a little head nod kind of thing and polite smile. That's about as far as it goes, but that's one of the ones. You need to know that Jesus loves them, cares about them. That, that, that one is somebody who sits in a classroom that you sit in and they're three, four desks away, but, you know, they're there and, and you don't, you, know, you see them just bury their, their face in their hands and hang their head and put their hoodie up and, and you might just kind of bump their shoulders when you walk through the doors, but that's about as far as it goes. But I'm telling you, that just might be one of the ones that, that Jesus is saying, this matters to me. And that one might be somebody who works with you. And you show up at a business meeting together, and then uh, you just are polite and cordial and professional, and you depart. But, but that might be one of the ones that Jesus is like, do you recognize that I want my love demonstrated to that one? And you're the one to do it. I mean, that's really kind of what this is about in a very real sense. There was a moment where Jesus was dealing with, with this one guy who was one of those ones who needed rescue. And, and, and he wasn't somebody who was like derelict and on the streets and, and that kind of a need of rescue. In fact, this guy named Zacchaeus, he was somebody who had a lot of money. I mean, he was really, you know, stupid rich and, and had a position of power and influence in his community. But he was still one of the ones that needed rescue. And Jesus said, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming to your place, Zacchaeus, let's hang out. And Jesus met him right where he was and changed his life forever. And, and this moment's recorded in Luke chapter 19, and, and when it, this moment all came to, to a head, and, and Zacchaeus said, I'm, do I'm done with my old way of living, I, from here on out, I'm different. Jesus then kind of made a statement to summarize that this is what he was about, Luke 19.10. Jesus is saying, right, what you just saw happen with Zacchaeus, this is what I'm about. The Son of Man has come to seek and save those who are lost. I want you to read this out loud with me, the mission of Jesus. Say it. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. The Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. This is Jesus explicitly, directly saying, this is what I'm about. This is my mission. It matters to me. Are you a follower of Jesus? Does it make sense to you that maybe it would be right to choose to join him in what he said he's here to do? Because I think it does. I think we got to make a, a decision, a, a, a line in the sand in a sense, and cross it and say, I'm not going to just be a religious consumer. I'm not going to just settle for, hey, I'll come to church once a month. That'll be good. Instead, that we would say, I'm really following Jesus. And what I'm going to be about with my life is joining Jesus and what he said he wanted to do. Now, back to the sheep story, right? It says that, uh, th that shepherd would, would leave the 99 and go after the one. And maybe for, for some of us, we've had a thought in our mind. Maybe we've thought, wait a minute, what, what, what about the 99? That doesn't seem right. Just leave the 99. Don't they matter? And they do. But, but Jesus, as the shepherd, as the shepherd it, figuratively speaking, recognizes the 99 are in a very good place. They are together, together and shepherded and gathered and have the safety and protection and nurture of that community, that home, that, that place, that, that flock they're a part of. So they're good. It's the one that isn't there, that isn't good. And Jesus is saying, yeah, and we reached that one. That one matters to me. 
and it's my mission to seek and save the, the lost. Uh, that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Seek and save those who are lost. I wonder if maybe we got to talk about that word for a second, lost. <laughs> because I, I'm, I'm guessing that somebody who is uh, not attached, not belonging to Jesus right now, is probably not out there somewhere going, hello, I'm lost, you know? It's, it's probably not likely, right? But I wonder if maybe there would be some other language they might use. Like, you know, I don't know what's going on with my life right now. I feel totally empty inside. I feel like everything's just bleak and dark for me, and I, I don't even have any hope. I don't even know what to do, and there's no answer. And I don't even know if, if, if there's a God or where I even stand with God, and is, I don't have any sense of direction. I mean, that is the kind of language that I think somebody who, who, who is in that place might use. I think that's who Jesus is really talking about. And I'm just praying and hoping that as a church we say, that one matters, that one matters. I want to I go back to Luke 15 for a moment. And in verse 4, what Jesus says, it says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And now I want you to read verse 5 out loud with me. Ready? Go. And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. He'll joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. Again, this is a story Jesus is telling to make a point. But I think it's an important point that's being made right here. He's saying, look, it, you, if there's going to be a rescue, there has to be a place that that one is brought to when they're rescued. And there's got to be that home that they can be brought to where the safety and nurture, and that home is with those 99. You, <laughs> with the church. And I think it's important for me and you to say, man, I, I get what Jesus is saying. That home matters. And our mission at Center Point is to love and lead people to a life-changing connection with Christ. That's what we are doing. And I, I'm always going to want to urge you to take a step to, to joining me in, in living out that mission. And not just saying, hey, I, I go to church. But instead, I'm, I'm on that mission together with my brothers and sisters. I'm going to love and lead people to a life-changing connection with Christ. And part of what that includes is creating environments like this one where those ones can come home and really find the nurture, the love, the power and grace of Jesus. So another testimony uh, of somebody recently just in our church just experiencing that coming home kind of moment. I want to share this with you. My name is Neil, and this is my story. I grew up in a family that there was no love. You did what you were told. There was no coddling, no hugging, no I love yous, nothing. In our family, to become a man, you had to do it physically by fighting. My dad would have me fight people in the backyard that he would bring in to fight me. And this started from probably seven or eight years old. Kind of makes you angry. I, w I think I was around 20. Me and a buddy were cruising around in his boat. And we just saw two girls on a dock and flipped a coin to see which one we wanted. I picked my wife. So we've been married 34 years now. She married the bad boy. She wanted the bad boy. Once we had kids, she changed and I didn't. It was rough. And I, I didn't know about most of it. I changed everything my dad did. 
I never hit, never yelled, but I was just, I was just angry. Last year, she left. I didn't know what to do. I have everything. I've done everything I've ever wanted. I actually had nothing. I think it was like that weekend, you know, I just started searching for a church and um, found Centerpoint. I had been thinking about leaving for a couple of years and I was scared. I still loved him. I knew that he loved me, but it just was too hard and I prayed about it for a long time. A long time I prayed about it and I just kept not getting a specific answer and I didn't want to do the wrong thing. I knew God was the only person, the only way that he was going to be able to be to be happy. I didn't know what needed to be to happen for him to be happy, but something major needed to happen and so I finally left when it was more painful to be there than the fear of leaving and I just couldn't do it anymore. So I finally, you know, I came and walked in and I just walked right up to the front, sat down on the right side and just happened to sit between uh, John and James. I'm sitting there and all of a sudden John gets up and I was like, where are you going? Come to find out he's a pastor. I did a lot of crying. I mean, they just asked, is there anybody that needs to come to the Lord? And I was broke. I didn't know what to do. So I raised my hand. After that, I, you know, I prayed with James and I just spewed all over him. I felt bad. From that second on, it just changed me. I mean, it changed every fiber in me. I finally felt some kind of peace, some kind of happiness that I've never known. What is different about Neil is almost everything in an amazing way. I literally have said to him, who are you? Because he says something so amazing to me that I don't even know how to react. We're, I'm still getting used to it, but I'm loving it. I knew God could do it. I knew, I knew he could. And um, I got my miracle. I did the CP 101 and found out about different things that I could get involved with. My passion is kids and babies are number one. I don't know why, they just are. They calm me down, they make my week better, they're everything. And everybody was just waiting for it to flip around, you know, to explode again. And it didn't. I decided to move back in. I thought about it for a while, I just needed to feel secure. I just needed to have some consistency and know that, that it was real because I, I didn't believe it at first. I knew he wanted to be like that, and I just was afraid. I was just afraid, and I didn't want to go back too soon, and we just worked on it and worked on it, and things got better and better, and so I moved back in, and it is, it is good. Things are really good. Now Donna comes in, and uh, we serve together, which is really nice. It's like I don't, I don't get upset about anything. It's just gone. It's just nice to be calm. I've always known that he loved Neil regardless of whatever was happening, but 
to know it and feel it in this way. It is amazing. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I love that. I love that. I'm really so grateful and proud of Donna and Neil for being the courageous ones to say, here's our story, you know? I love that. And there's so much power in a testimony. And for anybody who's in a place right now where you need to know there's some hope for you, take that testimony and say, I received that as a testimony of what God can do for us, for me, and run with that, right? But, but what this is about is there being a home where th that one who's in a place can be brought home and find the nurture and care and community that makes a place where Jesus can powerfully move for change in someone's life. And, and so, church, you are that. You are that kind of a body. Let me take you to Ephesians chapter 4 for a moment to make sure that we really understand the dynamic of who we really are. Beyond people who are sitting and uh, and simply, you know, watching church, but to understand that we are, in fact, the church. So, Ephesians chapter 4, therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle, patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. And make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace, for there is one body and one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. And there's one Lord and one faith and one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and in all and living through all. I want us to recognize like the dynamic in the spiritual realm of what this is really all about. Because it certainly isn't just about, I go and I listen to a clever you know, talk a couple times a month. It can't be that. It's got to be that we recognize the truth of what's being revealed here and value it and treasure it and honor it. And, and, and I, again, back to verse 4, it says, actually, why don't you read it out loud with me? Verse 4, all together, say it strong. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There's one body. This is a metaphor used throughout the New Testament to describe church, a body, the body of Christ. And as a body, it's about being the hands and feet of Jesus. And what that means is that when there's somebody who needs rescuing, it is the body who does it. It is the body. And who is that? That's right. Somebody over here knew it and said it first. You get the point. But listen, we are that body. And, and we recognize that we're part of an all. We're part of an all that, that God is working through. There's one body and there's one spirit. There's one Holy Spirit who's at work bringing conviction where it's needed. One Holy Spirit empowering us with supernatural capacity. There's one Holy Spirit who's nudging us, prompting us, directing us, and giving us the strength to do what we can do. There's one Spirit. There's one glorious hope for the future. Don't you love that? There's one glorious hope for the future. And do you know what that glorious hope is? That glorious hope for the future is, is not only that from this moment forward, for the rest of your earthly life, you'll have the empowering presence of God giving you the strength and filling you with hope to conquer and overcome at every turn. But not only that, you have the hope of heaven. Like all eternity being in the presence of God, disease is gone, sin and shame and guilt are gone, strife is done, it's gone and you are in the presence of God forever. I mean, that's a glorious hope. 
Thank you. Somebody gets it. It's a glorious hope. Don't ever lose sight of that. Don't ever get so stuck in right now that you can't see the future God has in mind for you. Listen, this is, this is glorious. It's what we're made for. And verse 5 says, and also there's one Lord. There's one faith, one baptism. There's one Lord. One Lord Jesus Christ that's over everything in our lives. I mean, we might have different uh, inclinations and we might come to some different conclusions about this, that, and the other thing. But when it's all said and done, if you're a follower of Jesus, there is one Lord Jesus Christ. And we have a unity in him. Even if we disagree about this, that, and the other thing, we agree that Jesus Christ is Lord of all and he's Lord of this church. He's the Lord. There's one Lord and there's one faith. We have one faith in the salvation gift of grace that comes through Jesus Christ. We have one faith in the Lord who loves us and redeems us. We have one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and is in all and is living through all. Every single one of us who submitted our lives to Jesus and said, I believe in you. We're part of that all. Say, I'm part of the all. Part of the all. And it's what we're made for, to live with an awareness of just what we're really a part of, the body of Jesus Christ. And so in, in this uh, message today and in this series, All for the One, I want you to know it's not just a message series. This is a spiritual journey for the next five weeks that I want us to go on together and to, to really experience some, some challenge and some depth in terms of how we are in walking with Jesus. And... and all for the one is, at the heart, it's about vision. And here's why. In December, I'm coming up on uh, being your pastor for 15 years. And I I'm grateful that I've gotten to do that. Ooh, thank you, Jesus. And I love to be able to look back and go, wow, God, look at all you've done. But man, I I'm just as eager to say, wow, God, what, what do you want to do next? And that's what I'm thinking about and I've been praying about and saying, God, I know you love the one and, and you love your church and, and we're part of that all. And how do you want to use this part of the all all around the planet in this area to accomplish your purpose? What's vision, God? And I feel like God's downloaded and stirred up stuff in my spirit for our glorious hope for the future together. And here's what, I, here's what I'm envisioning. I am believing God and trusting God and have vision that over the next 10 years, together, our church, that we would see 10,000 people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm believing God for that. That is what I see when I pray about what does God have for the future of our church. Man, why wouldn't we want that? Why wouldn't we want that? If that one really matters, and that one's got to matter to us, and it's got to be on our hearts to say, it matters to Jesus, it matters to his church body, and I'm a part of it. And, and if God gives us the grace to see 10,000 people over a decade come to know Jesus, then by conclusion, part of that vision is, and I believe God for this, that we would be a church of 10,000 people, five to 10,000 people that would be gathering in several locations all around this region, loving Jesus deeply, growing in our own depth of discipleship, learning the ways of our God, and being empowered in a life filled with the Holy Spirit, and cultivating an atmosphere and culture of revival that will change this world. That's what I'm believing God for. That's the vision he's stirring up in my mind and heart for our church. And so if you're part of our church, I want you to hear that. I want you to 
take it to heart and maybe even pray and say, God, that sounds like something. What do you say to me about it? <laughs> and I hope that we would together embrace that vision and do, do something about it. Not just hear about it and go, hey, hey, good for you. <laughs> but instead, we'd say, man, that's, that's my church. And, and I, I'm part of that all. So how do we proceed? You know, the vision I just described, it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to take a number of things, right? And one of the things that it's going to require is that we would expand this space in, in this worship center. So that there's more room in this home for the ones that God's going to use us to reach. And so here's kind of part of what I'm talking about. Talking about uh, expanding this worship center, adding 500 seats uh, in the back. And what that is is a roughly 65% increase in the capacity that we have to say there's a home here for the ones Jesus wants us to reach. And now I think it's a good plan and I think it's important that we recognize the challenge of it. Now, th this, uh, this is the project. What I just described is the project. Next week, I'm going to give you the details of that. Today, I just want to just sort of say, hey, that's kind of what part of this is about. So come back next week if you want to know, like, well, what are you talking about? What kind of expansion? I I'm excited to share those details. Come back next week. But uh, the, the, the project is not the vision. I just hope you would hear me on that. The vision is being a group of people that say that one matters. And we're going to find every way we can to make sure the ones are rescued, right? And, and yes, we agree that part of that includes the space, but it's about that one. And the project is something that we do that, it, that facilitates that vision in, in, in allowing to make sure that there's a space uh, for those ones. But this, uh, this vision is going to require each of us to go on a discipleship journey and, and to move from maybe, maybe being... Uh, those who are feeling like we're just kind of watching uh, church happen to being those who really are disciples following Jesus into something deep. And so the first thing I would hope is that even in the next five weeks that we would have a, a deepening value for the one on a personal level. That we would begin to reevaluate the mission of Jesus and say, I think he really meant it. And that one uh, matters to him. And as a matter of our own discipleship, to say, i got to have a place in my heart for that one. And then the second thing I think this is going to require of us is a deepening discipleship as it pertains to the value of the church. And to determine in our own life as a follower of Jesus, does this really matter or not? I mean, does what happens around here every day, every week, Sundays, whatever, does it really matter? And, and if it does, like, what should I be involved? How should I do my part? Like, I really want us to explore that, to come to our own thoughtfulness about it. And then I hope and pray that there is a response even financially to the vision I just shared. Because listen, I mean, the truth is that a vision like the one I just shared is, is a big vision. And to be a church that's on mission will take money. It just will. And we, we are the ones who provide that as a matter of our discipleship. And so there will be an opportunity for a, a financial response in, uh, in conclusion to all for the one, because it's part of our discipleship to make sure that there's resources available for the work of God in, in his church. So here's the goal. You ready for the goal? The goal for all for the one is 100% participation. That is the goal. 100% participation. What is the goal? Uh, yeah, uh, that's the goal. 100% participation. That my hope, my, my wish, my dream is that every one of us would say, you know what, 
I'm part of that all. And, and I'm going to do what I can. And to say yes to Jesus for this, this vision to come to pass. And my answer to all for the one is I'm part of it. I, I'm praying every one of us would uh, be engaged. And so the goal is 100% participation. And I am going to share also a financial goal with you. And it's the kind of goal that, if I'm honest, it will take 100% participation to pull it off. I mean, you don't talk about the kind of thing I just talked about, and, and it's just a little afterthought thing. It's got to be something intentional happens with all of us. And so here's what we're doing with All for the One. It's a little different than maybe you've experienced in the past if you've been part of Centerpoint. Uh, what we're doing is establishing one fund. And, and rather just than say, hey, we're going to have this project, and here's how much it costs, we're going to say, hey, look, we're a church, and this is all the stuff we do, and it all is part of the ministry God's called us to. And uh, what I'm asking you to do is to recognize the value of what Jesus is doing through our church and make a commitment to say, we'll provide for that for the next 24 months. And so that's what All for the One is. It's a, it's a, it's a way that we're going to provide for all of the ministry that we currently already do every week. I mean, the student ministry and kids ministry and the outreach ministry, the missionaries we support, the weekend services and everything in between. And also provide additional finances so that this project that I'm, I'm referencing can happen. That expansion that I'm referencing is probably going to cost in the neighborhood of $3 million. And it's a big deal. But I do think that if all of us are part of this journey and say, yep, you know, it's my, my life is going to reflect something for the glory of God, even including what I do with my resources, I think that God will some, do something to blow our minds. It's going to be an amazing journey, and I'm believing him for that. So what I'm asking you to consider doing is over these next 24 months to allow uh, all for the one to be your priority destination for your generosity. And, and to do so as the Lord leads you to, as a matter of being a disciple of Jesus who wants to see his church thrive. So... Uh, I will share more details about that, but right now I want to give you something. And so I want to ask our, our ushers to uh, join me for a minute and begin to pass out this, um, this bracelet. I'm wearing a bracelet right now. Many of you know that I have a thing for bracelets, so I want to give you one. So I'm not the only guy wearing a bracelet in church. So it, it's going to go ahead and pass them out. And, uh, and just if, if you wouldn't mind, pass it down the road to the people to the left and to the right of you. You know, here's what I'm thinking about the whole finances thing is that it doesn't need to be weird. Like it just doesn't. It's just a thing. It's just a thing about life. Just like prayer. Just like reading the scriptures. Just like, uh, you know, meeting in a small group. I mean, it, it's kind of just another thing about life. It doesn't need to be weird. But here's the discipleship challenge. You know, for, for some of us, maybe we just never have even really been involved in, like, giving to church. By the way, I want you to know that there's no offering buckets going to come your way next. Don't worry. What's happening right now is I'm just giving you a bracelet. So no pressure. But I want you to think about this for a minute. You, you might be someone who, you know, it's not really your thing. You just, you know, you're glad to come, but you, you've never really given to the work of the church. Maybe your step as a disciple of Jesus would be to begin to do that and to say, I, I should and, and I want to. Right? And maybe for some of you, that, that, uh, you know, you, you're already an, an occasional giver. You, you know, if you have 20 bucks, you put it in and that kind of thing. And maybe your next step would be to become an intentional giver. That would be a next right step for you. 
and instead of it being, hey, I happen to have something, maybe I'll throw it in, to instead say, no, we're going to do this. We're every, every week or every month, we're going to give. Uh, for some of you, you're already an intentional giver, and maybe your next right step as a disciple would just say, uh, to be a percentage giver, and that's something unique in the, in the scriptures, to, to recognize a, a, a percentage and, and making it such a priority, and the Old Testament idea confirmed in the New Testament is, is the tithe, and maybe that would be a great step for some of us to take as a disciple that wants to see the church thrive, and maybe for a good number of us, maybe it's time to take a step to being an extravagant giver, where, where, where it's not anything because I because I have to, or someone's twisting my arm, but just, man, I, I love what God is doing, and I want to make sure it happens, and giving in an extravagant way. And by the way, that's not about an amount. It, it really isn't, because we all come from different capacities, right? It's much more about what we are willing to do from our heart. But I, my conviction is that if all of us take our own next right step on a journey like what I just described, and I, I think God's going to blow us away with an amazing response. So I, I pass out a bracelet to you, and it says, all for the one. And, you know, I hope that would, what would happen is that you, you would look down at your wrist later this week, and you would just kind of remember, like, okay, I'm part of that all. And, and we're doing something. We, we're, we're, we're re-embracing, like, the, the goodness of Jesus and his desire to see the one rescued. And I hope that you would remember to just pray. Pray for what's going on with your church. And as you pray, I really do want you to ask God to lead you in how you will respond in all for the one. Practically speaking, I mean, the next uh, several weeks, I'm going to get into more of the particulars. And then finally on uh, November 4th, that weekend, we'll have a commitment weekend. So there's plenty of time to process and think and pray. And I do want you to pray. Maybe this will remind you to pray that God would give us all a heart for the one, as a, as a church body, and pray about how God would lead you to respond. So that's what we're doing together. That's the beginning of this All for the One journey. But I want you to pray with me, even right now. If you got the bracelet on your wrist already, would you do me a favor and just kind of hold up your hand and raise your hand up for a minute with the bracelet on it and keep it up for a moment. If you're willing to pray with me over the vision of All for the One, would you just keep your hand up? And now let's pray together over it. God, I thank you that you have a heart of compassion for the ones that need rescue and that you've placed us where you need us to be part of how that rescue happens and you've created this to be a home where that one can be brought for the nurture and the care and the discovery of your love and your gift of salvation I pray father that you would use us to accomplish your purpose and for all my friends who are gathered here today Lord would you speak to us individually about how to respond uh, to an initiative like this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.